This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This is Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime, brought to you every Wednesday at RelicRadio.com by the listeners of RelicRadio.com. If you'd like to help support this and all of the shows, visit Donate.RelicRadio.com or visit the Donate page on the website for more information. We've got some downloadable sets for certain donation amounts, so any amount is always appreciated. Thank you to everyone who has helped out. This week, we're going to begin with Jeff Regan, investigator, and his story from December 21st, 1949, titled... Some Enchanted Car Hop. After that, it's Gangbusters in the case of the Nickel and Dime Bandits, their episode from March 28, 1941. My name's Regan. I work for Anthony J. Lyon, International Detective Bureau. They call me the Lion's Eye. Wednesday at 9 and CBS brings you Jeff Regan, Investigator, starring Frank Graham as Regan with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon. So stand by for mystery and suspense and adventure in tonight's story of Some Enchanted Car Hop. It was just an ordinary drive-in hamburger joint on Vermont off Sunset, but they called it Hamburger Heaven. And just to carry out the idea, they'd hired six angels to wait on cars. Three blondes, a redhead, and two brunettes. I was lucky. I drew the redhead. Only she didn't serve up what I ordered. All she brought me was trouble. The whole thing started when there were only eight more shopping days until Christmas. I fought my way through the necktie and socks set, and by the time I reached the office, I was ready to start celebrating New Year's. But my boss, the lion, had other ideas. When I walked in, all 280 pounds of him was up on an office stool. He was tacking a dried-up sprig of mistletoe over the door. Jeffrey! Jeffrey, my boy, come in, come in. The festive season is at hand. How's that again? I said the festive season is at hand. I'm filled overflowing with the yuletide spirit. Yeah? Well, you better take those nails out of your teeth before you spring a leak. Hmm? Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you're right, my boy. I got carried away. Yeah, sure. You and Tiny Tim. We're uh, expecting women clients? Uh, women clients? Oh, oh, you mean the mistletoe. Well, Jeffrey, you never can tell when a sweet young thing might accidentally happen in. Stop drooling, fatso. You dropped out of the mistletoe set 50 pounds ago. Well, maybe so. But I still believe in Santa Claus. Yeah. Now, where was I? You were up on the stool with berries in your hair. No, no, I mean about the new client. What have I told you so far? That the festive season is at hand? Huh? Oh, oh, then I haven't told you about our new client. His name is Ward Hamilton, Jeffrey. He was in just a few minutes ago. Fine figure of a man. Well-dressed, distinguished, and prosperous. That explains the Christmas spirit. How much? Jeffrey, the Christmas spirit cannot be measured in terms of money. This is the time of goodwill toward men of unselfish devotion. Sure. How much unselfish devotion did he buy? Fifty dollars worth. It's something about his niece or daughter or some friend or something. What about them? Well, it seems this girl's been receiving packages, flowers, candy, that sort of thing. What's so mysterious about that? Doesn't she know it's Christmas? Well, for some reason or other, Ward Hamilton says she's worried about them. He'll tell you all about it when you see him. The address is on the desk. It's out on Iredell Road in North Hollywood. 
So I find the Santa Claus that's been sending the packages. Say, that's right. This case does fit right in with the season, doesn't it? Sure. And Merry Christmas to you, too, fatso. That started it. I hopped in my sleigh and headed my reindeer out over Coenga Pass. Ira Del Road was twin rows of California bungalows with Christmas decorations strung out in front. All except one house. It was the address Lion had given me. Redwood front on the usual cream-colored stucco. White ranch-type fence, swimming pool in the backyard. No Christmas anywhere. Behind the fence, a big Dalmatian wagged his tail and grinned at me in a nice, friendly sort of way. Only he was growling when he did it. I circled wide and made the porch, but I didn't get as far as the doorbell. What do you want? Mr. Hamilton? I'm Regan, International. Regan? Oh, yes, the detective. Come in, Mr. Regan, come in. He was big and gray-haired, the man of distinction. But what he had in his hand wasn't a glass. It was a whip, black, ten feet long, with lead weights at the tip. In here. I appreciate you coming right out, Mr. Regan. I'd like to get prompt action. Is that what you use that for? Well, oh, the whip. No, no. No, just a hobby of mine. I practice hitting toy ducks floating at the swimming pool. Oh, nice way to get use out of your pool during the winter season. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Never mind that. Uh, sit down, Mr. Regan. I want to tell you about Mary. That's the niece. Niece? No. No relation. I'm a close friend of her family's. Her parents died several years ago. There was no one else, so I've tried to take over the reins and help the girl along. It hasn't been easy. She isn't broken to harness. It's a nice metaphor, but it doesn't fit. Not at all. Mary Winter is a strange girl. Very strange. She's the shy, retiring type. Ah, I see. The detective training. You're thinking ahead, assuming that she's not attractive to men. Nothing could be further from the truth. She's a lovely girl. Very lovely. Auburn hair, green eyes, fine, firm, youthful figure. Desirable is the word, Mr. Regan. Desirable. Uh, you understand what I mean? You make it pretty clear. So, um, that brings us to the anonymous packages. For almost six weeks, someone has been sending Mary gifts. Almost every day. Flowers, candy, novelties, that sort of thing. No name. No indication where they come from. Mary has no idea either? No. But she's reacted them to them badly. They're making her nervous, upset... There's something I can't afford to have happen. Come again? Uh, Mr. Regan, I can observe that there's little use in trying to keep anything back from you. My interest in the package matter is because of money. Now the story begins to make sense. Mary is strange. Perhaps I should have said peculiar. Her aversion to men is almost... Well, I've been sending her to a Mr. Farthing, a human relations counselor. A psychologist? Uh, something like that. And it costs money? Yes, it costs money. The more delay in cure, the more it costs. Frankly, Mr. Regan, I'm tired of the obligation. She work? Yes. Uh, she works at one of those drive-in stands, car hop. Something wrong with that? The place is called Hamburger Heaven, Mr. Regan. And you want me to find the guy who sends the packages so he'll marry her or so you can get rid of him? It works the same either way. Uh, you'll take the job, Mr. Regan? Sure. I'll find your guy. Maybe he'll look good under your Christmas tree. Ward Hamilton gave me the girl's address in Hollywood. 
It was a tired stucco four flat just off Kingsley, the home of Mary Winter, the girl who hated men. And then it was too easy. Standing out front near the curb was a little man in a trench coat. He carried an umbrella over his arm, and he paced up and down watching the apartment. That was too good a bet to pass up. You going somewhere? I, I beg your pardon? Someone you know lives in there? Why, why, that's none of your business, sir. The name of the friend wouldn't be Mary Winter. Get out of my way. That's what I thought. Hold it. Let go of my arm. Let go, I say. Why are you watching Mary Winter's apartment? I warned you. Let go. Let go. Answer me. Very well. I'll answer you. The umbrella in his hand came down on my wrists and he broke for the corner. By the time I turned, he was out of sight. On the ground, broken, was the little man's umbrella. I picked it up. Real break. Name engraved on the handle. In nice big gold letters, it said, Smith. I headed for Mary Winter's apartment. I knocked and nothing happened. Knocked again. The radio in the room told me somebody was in and liked their music loud. I tried the door and it worked. I stuck my head in to look around. A redhead came in from another room in slacks and halter. She saw me... She dived for the closet and came out wearing a coat. Then she snapped off the radio. Get out of here! Look, I tried knocking, but... I... Get out before I call the police! The name's Regan. Ward Hamilton sent me. You're, you're lying. You're trying to trick me. Phone him, he'll tell you. What, what... What do you want? About the presents you've been getting. Tell me. I... I... I'm not sure. I can't trust you. Well, look, for the last time, I'm supposed to find out who's sending them. Either you help or you don't. Now, take your choice. All right. I'll listen. But don't you come a step closer. I sat down one corner of the room, redhead, other corner. She was tall, graceful, beautiful. Everything a guy could want. Except for the look in her eyes. Scared, hunted. I waited for her to start it. They began several weeks ago. The presents. I I don't know who is sending them or why, but I... Any I, card? Identification? No, nothing. You sure? You think I'd accept gifts from a stranger? Well, take it easy. Nobody said that. What did Farthing tell you? Farthing? This human relations counselor you go to. Oh, you know about that? Yeah, I know about that. What did he say? That... That I shouldn't worry. That I, I should find out. That all? Oh, you don't understand. You're like all of them. Get out of Wait, here. One question. You know a little guy about 30 carries an umbrella, wears a trench coat, shy? No, no. Are you sure? Think. A little guy. No. No, I don't know him. I've never met him in my life. Get out! I left the redhead sobbing softly to herself. Maybe a lot of flowers and candy would be kind of nice to a lot of people during Christmas, but not to Mary Winter. She was mixed up, inside and out. I headed back to my car, and then I was mixed up. It had looked easy until I got to my car. That's when I got complications. A big complication. Fat 40 with a gun. Get in, Shamus. Now what? Your choice, Shamus. Like what? The winter dame, uh-uh. Your property? Not my type. Belong to the boss? Question, Shamus, uh-uh. Beat it, will you? I'm not through with you. Okay, get through. Stay away from Mary Winter or you get trouble. Real bad trouble. Any questions now, Shamus? Yeah. Who pays you? You shouldn't have asked that question. 
It looked like it was going to be a real holiday season. Brotherly love all over the place. The next stop was a man named Mr. Farthing. Only the sign on the door said John J. Farthing, human relations counselor. It was a plush layout. Waiting room the size of a box top. Rich, solid, lined with deep green leather chairs, brass studs. On the wall, Van Gogh, Gauguin, that kind of stuff. The receptionist was out, and I took a crack at the thick mahogany door. Yes, come in, please. What may I do for you, sir? The name's Regan, international detective. Oh, sit down, Mr. Regan. Now, is something troubling you? girl named Winter, Mary Winter. Go on, Mr. Regan. She's a patient of yours? Why do you ask? A couple of questions about him. I see. Since you know her background, I thought you could fill me in on a few things. I said since... I heard you, Mr. Regan. Well? Perhaps, sir, you're aware of the nature of my work. Since I assume you're an intelligent man, I don't believe it's necessary to be much more explicit than that. Try it for size. Very well. Cigarette, Mr. Regan? Thanks. There is in existence a code of ethics. Some practitioners call it the Hippocratic Oath. I'm not a doctor, as you know, yet I too, Mr. Regan, have a moral code. I'm listening. Nothing in my code, either morally, ethically, or in any other way, allows me to discuss the affairs of my patients. Is that clear? Yeah, that's clear. I'm sorry I can't assist you in whatever it is you're trying to do, Mr. Regan. I'd like to help, but as you see, my hands are tied. That makes two of us. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Mr. Farthing, gray suit, ivory cigarette holder, and gold cufflinks stood up and shook hands solemnly. I left. He'd given me nothing. And there was only one thing wrong with that. Mr. Farthing was right. I decided to check in with my boss, Anthony J. Lyon. The International Detective Agency, Anthony Save J. it for the customers, Fatso. Jeffrey, where have you been? Look, I just started this business two hours ago. What's eating you? Just this. I have here in my office with me a young man. He has an interesting story, Jeffrey. It seems he's been sending gifts to one Mary Winter. What? That's correct, Regan, the man you're supposed to be looking for. Well, don't just stand there. Get over here at once. This young man can't wait all day for lazy detectives. And besides, he needs help. He needs help? Yeah, that's right, Jeffrey. The man you were supposed to find. His life's in danger. <laughs> This is CBS, and you're listening to Jeff Regan, investigator in tonight's adventure, Some Enchanted Car Hop. It started when a guy named Ward Hamilton hired the lion and me to find out who was sending packages to a car hop named Mary Winter. I met a little guy with an umbrella and a big guy with a gun and a human relations counselor who called himself Mr. Farthing. 
Then I phoned my boss, Anthony J. Lyon, and found the mysterious Santa Claus who'd been sending the girl gifts had walked right into our office. When I got there, I found the Lyon sitting with his fingertips touching as he talked to the man across the desk from him. Like I guessed, it was the same guy I'd seen outside Mary Winter's apartment. The little guy. Thirty, trench coat, and nervous. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, come in, come in. I want you to meet our new client, Mr. Smith. Mr. Ernest Smith, he's in trouble. Uh, well, if he isn't, he should be. Jeffrey, what on earth do you mean? I found your Mr. Smith outside the girl's apartment. He wasn't looking for frost on those windows. Oh, oh no, 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 Mr. Regan, that, that, that's... Uh, yeah, what Mr. Smith is trying to say, Jeffrey, is that that's not true. Mr. Smith is in real trouble. You sell it to him? Jeffrey, how can you say such a thing? Mr. Smith feels his life is in danger, hence he has retained us to act in his behalf. That's true, Mr. Regan. I'll admit I sent the gifts to Miss Winter. I didn't realize, I didn't Get know... Get to the point. Now, now I'm afraid... Since I saw you this afternoon, someone's following me. Fat guy, big coat. Yes. I came here for help. Someone doesn't like my sending the gifts. Well, that's real bright. Well, you can start with Mary Winter. She doesn't like them, Mr. Regan? Then there's a guy named Hamilton. She, she's married? We call him a guardian, family friend. Oh. Finish your story. I, I like Miss Winter. I, I wanted to do something for her. So you've been sending her anonymous presents for almost six weeks. Isn't that carrying the Christmas spirit too far? Well, uh, well, I, I like her. That's not abnormal, is it, Mr. Regan? Yeah, of course not, Mr. Smith. You keep out of this, Fatso. Yeah, but, Jeffrey, our client... We got another client named uh, Hamilton, remember? Besides, you haven't met the girl. Neither have I. What? I've never met Mary Winter. Is that abnormal, Mr. Regan? Oh, dear. Dear, perhaps I'm sicker than Mr. Farthing told me. Say that again. Mr. Farthing, my human relations counselor, he takes care of me. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe this is going to add up. You've never met Mary Winter? No. No, but you've seen her. You've seen her in the waiting room of Farthing's office. Why, Mr. Regan, how on earth did you guess? That's exactly it. She was reading a copy of Reader's Digest, and I was reading an old National Geographic. It was a fall Never mind. Well, Lyon, I think that wraps that up. Jeffrey, what do you mean? Mary Winter is afraid of unknown guy sending packages. Unknown guy turns out to be Smith. Take Smith to Mary, show her he's harmless. Collect our feet. But, Jeffrey, what about Mr. Smith? What about the man who's following him? Maybe you just imagined it. Come on, Smith. We're going to visit a redhead. The Lion didn't believe Smith imagined it any more than I did. But he only sputtered, and I loaded Smith into the car and headed out to Mary Winter's apartment. It looked simple. Then, like a glass of mild eggnog. What I didn't know was that somebody had slipped me a zombie. It was turning dark when we pulled up in front of the place. Smith stayed at my heels like a sheepdog. I knocked. This time, she opened the door. Oh, Mr. Regan, what are you doing here? Brought your Christmas present. Only this one's harmless. Oh, no. Take it no. easy, sweetheart. Just a guy named Smith. You might even like him. No, no, please go away. Please go away. <laughs> Smith and I walked on in, and Mary backed into a chair in the far corner of the room. She and Smith looked at each other and didn't say anything, so I waited for the sparks to die out of her eyes. But they didn't. There was something else on her mind. This? This is the man who sent the packages? You guessed it. Smith, Mary Winter. Mary Winter, Smith. Get him out of here! Huh? 
I said, get him out of here before, before he kills me. Oh, no. Sit down. Now, just a minute, lady. He won't hurt anybody. Just take it that's, easy, will you? Just take quiet. That's what you're Oh, no, no. I'm Now, listen, hurt. sweetheart. Wait a minute. It's Christmas. You've heard of that, I think, haven't you? People send presents to each other because it makes them feel good. Now, Smith sent you presents for the same reason. He's going to kill me. You're like he is, trying to trap me. Oh, that does it. All right. Look at this. What, a card? It came in a box of flowers. It was delivered here to my apartment tonight. Each man kills the thing he loves. Well, Regan, try and explain that. Try and... Shut up. Did you send this, Smith? No, no, Mr. Regan. I didn't send it. I sent flowers and candy and nice things. Mr. Regan, at the window! I left them with their mouths open and ran for the hall, and then outside. The girl may have had an overworked imagination, but her mind didn't knock over that garbage can. It was dark and peaceful and still outside. Me and a half moon and nobody else. And then I saw him, thick-set, crouched, moving away from the window. I dove after him. We went down together as his hand came out of his pocket. The heavy gray forty-five got itself in my direction, and I grabbed at the wrist behind him. The gun fell into the rose bush, but he got to his feet. I warned you once, Shamus. Stay away from that girl. Who said so? Never mind. Get off the case now, before it's too late. It'll only mean... Were you going to say... Trouble? The big guy was 200 pounds of unconscious as I bent over him. A heavy camel hair coat was wrapped around him. The same guy I'd seen before. I unbuttoned the coat, figuring some identification might help, only when it came open, I didn't need any more. He was wearing a tailored starched jacket. It wasn't the kind you see every day. It was white. That gave me the lead I needed, and I headed fast for my car. Ten minutes later, I stopped at a drugstore on my way out to the valley. I phoned the lion and told him to check on farthing. Then I headed the car out Cahuenga. The pass was crowded with home-from-work traffic. It took me 25 minutes to make Ira Del Road and the home of Ward Hamilton. This time, the Dalmatian was out for the night. But Ward Hamilton wasn't. He opened the door. Well, well, Mr. Regan, come in. You work late. Our time clock's out of order. Oh, perhaps you'd like one for Christmas. No, thanks. Wouldn't fit in my sock. <laughs> well, Mr. Regan, I take it by this visit that you have good news for me. Call it that. You know who's been sending the girl those gifts? A guy named Smith. Uh, how's that again? Smith, Ernest Smith. His birth certificate says. I'm afraid I've never heard of him, Mr. Regan. He saw Mary in the waiting room of Farthing's office. Never met her. Shy little guy. Well, now isn't that something... Well, I must say, Mr. Regan, you did a remarkably fast job. There's something else you ought to know, Hamilton. Chances are Farthing's a phony. Mr. Farthing? Looks like. Why, it, it seems absurd. Just thought I'd let you know. Want me to go on with the case? Mm, what do you mean, Mr. Regan? I found your guy, Smith. That's what you hired me for. And when I get to Farthing, he'll sing like a prima donna. He'll sing? Talk. Well, then keep going. Okay, Hamilton. It's your money. It's your life, Mr. Regan. Be careful. I made a fast phone call to the lion on my way back into town. And that tied it up. Farthing was working late when I got there, only when he looked up and saw me, he wasn't happy. What do you want? Conversation. A lot of it. 
Mr. Regan, I must ask why you've come to my office at this hour. I told you, for conversation. Then I may regard this whole thing as a sort of joke? Maybe. Only the laughs you'll get wouldn't get by even on television. I demand an explanation of your attitude. Fair enough. Start with your name. Not Farthing, it's Farnham. Howard Farnham. Hmm? You want more? Uh, where did you get that? I had a phone conversation with my boss. He's got ways of getting things. Like your record. Five arrests bunco, one arrest forgery, one arrest fraud. No convictions. You were lucky. Maybe you won't be this time. You haven't got anything on me, Regan? How about blackmail? Not a chance. Maybe not yet. Only you were getting set for a job. I believe the guy's name was Hamilton. You can't prove it. Well, it was your mug, the big guy in the white jacket. He meant business. Does he do your legwork? Now, uh, listen, Regan, you can't pin blackmail on me. Sure, maybe I had ideas, but I don't claim I'm a doctor. I don't hand out any pills. Just advice, Regan. That's all, just advice. That's too bad. You know, there are a lot of people that take phonies like you seriously, Farnham. A lot of people that could use advice. Real advice. Mine's real. They say, uh, should I marry him? And I say, yes or no, depending... On how much there is in it for you. What do you want from me, Regan? Who paid you to put the B on Mary Winter? Never mind, Farthing. You won't have to answer that. Come on in, Hamilton. I've been waiting for you. You're bragging, Mr. Regan. It made sense if I could get you to join Farthing and me. You might have something to say. You're showing up. Check my story. What story? Like this. man named Hamilton's supposed to look out for a young redhead named Mary Winter. Only Hamilton takes one look at this number, and suddenly he's not fatherly anymore. He decides to move in for himself. It's absurd. Is it? You convinced the girl she couldn't trust any man in the world but you. <laughs> Should have been the other way around. You're the one she couldn't trust. Isn't that right, Farthing? Leave me out of this, Regan. I run a legitimate business. Leave you out? Well, that wouldn't be fair. You were the guy Hamilton came to with money. He paid you to tell Mary Winter who's the man for her. Am I right, Farthing? You're lying, Regan. No, no, I'm not. Everything worked fine until along came a nice, shy little guy with an umbrella, Mr. Smith. Met Mary in Farthing's waiting room, starting sending her presents. You know, that must have really stopped you, Hamilton, trying to figure out who was cutting in on your Romeo act. Regan, I've had enough out of you. I thought you were getting nosy. You hired me to find the guy, and I did. End of story. Except if anybody should happen to tell Mary Winter what kind of a guy you really are, Hamilton, you might suddenly find yourself out of a lifetime career. You'll never tell her, Regan. I'll see to that. Forget one item. For a last touch, you send Mary a threatening note. Really put the pressure on. You're washed up, Hamilton. This revolver says I'm not, Mr. Regan. Farthing, come over here, out of the way. We're going to take care of Mr. Regan. Self-defense, not a chance with Farthing's record. Am I right, Farnham? Do as I say, Farthing. Go ahead, Farnham, go ahead. Murder will look good on your list. I... I won't play ball, Hamilton. I told the girl what you wanted, but I'm not in this. It's your fight. I can make it yours. Don't try it. I am as good with this gun, gentlemen, as I am with a whip. Farnham, watch out. <laughs> Farnham ducked as I hit Hamilton's wrist. The bullet buried itself in the desktop and the gun hit the floor. I got the gun as Hamilton moved in fast. Only what he got for his trouble was the barrel across his head. <laughs> Farnham crawled up to his chair, sat down, puffing. I let him catch his breath. When I waved the gun in his direction, he didn't mind phoning the police. The heavy guy in the white jacket showed up bright and early for work the next morning, and the cop greeted him with a pair of handcuffs. He got off with assault and battery, and Farnham, alias Farthing, made the blotter for a light charge. Hamilton wasn't that lucky. His read assault with intent to kill. 
It was noon when I got to the lion's office. He was admiring the Christmas tree stuck in the corner. And from the sounds that came out of his mouth, it looked like his holiday fever was becoming serious. Noel, 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 Noel. Bone is the king of... Hello, Jeffrey. They're looking for a replacement for Vaughn Monroe? Jeffrey, how unkind. It's the season for song. Sunday is Christmas, my boy. And today is payday. Yes, uh, <coughs> so it is. Mm. Well, perhaps I could manage a small token, a, a sign of my gratitude. Thanks. Yeah, by the way, uh, what about Mary Winter, the car hop? How is the girl, Jeffrey? Oh, I left her with Smith last night when I went after Farthing's mug. Jeffrey, you didn't. Alone together? And that girl hating all men and that boy shy backwards? Jeffrey, how could you? How cruel. It's too late now, Lion. Maybe we'll read about it in the afternoon paper. Double murder. Double hamburger. <laughs> what did you say? I drove by Mary's drive-in this morning. There was a car parked there. Jeffrey, you mean... Little guy behind the wheel. Trench coat, umbrella. He looked an awful lot like our boy Smith. And then you talked to them? For a minute. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Tell me, Jeffrey, tell me. What did Mary say? She said, with or without onions. Merry Christmas, Lion. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Jeffrey. Jeff Regan, Investigator, is written by William Frug and William Fifield, produced by Sterling Tracy, directed by Gordon T. Hughes, and stars Frank Graham as Regan, with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon. Original music is by Dick Arant. Jeff Regan, Investigator, is heard each week at the same time over CBS. Bob Stevenson speaking and inviting you to be with us again next week at this same time for Jeff Regan, Investigator. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Your faithful friend with muscles ache and pain presents Gangbusters. Gangbusters, brought to you, the men and women of America, by the makers of Sloan's Liniment. With the cooperation of leading law enforcement officials of the United States, Gangbusters presents facts in the relentless war of the police on the underworld. Authentic case histories that show the never-ending activity of the police and their work of protecting our citizens. America's crusade against crime. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the name Schwarzkopf, just an editorial note, and we'll get right back to the program. Colonel Schwarzkopf, who uh, oftentimes interviews the uh, uh, lawman who brings in the story to gangbusters, is, of course, uh, in actuality, uh, the father of H. Norman Schwarzkopf, general of the United States Army, uh, and so this is kind of interesting to hear him portrayed, uh, his father portrayed as a law enforcer. 
And also interesting, uh, there's a, uh, the character of the lawman, a sheriff, uh, I'm sorry, a judge who comes on the program, Judge Miller, is played by none other than Bill Johnstone, who about the same time was playing The Shadow on the Mutual Network. So there's a couple of interesting voices to listen for here. Now for our plot the interview between Colonel Schwarzkopf and Judge L.D. Miller of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Picture our setting as a special office turned over to gangbusters by Commissioner Louis J. Valentine of the New York City Police. Colonel Schwarzkopf. Judge Miller, I understand that Charleston and Rogers, the nickel and dime bandits, were hunted by the police of six states. Yes, Colonel Schwarzkopf. Actually, eight different police departments were after them within a period of 30 days. But why do you call these particular criminals the nickel and dime bandits? Well, Colonel, James Carlson, the brains of the combination, had a theory of crime different from any criminal in all my experience. I got a new slant on stick-ups that'll pay big dividends. I'm going to get me a smart partner that knows how to use a gift. Then we're going to go through the Mississippi Valley pulling little jobs, nickel and dime jobs. When we pulled enough of these nickel and dime jobs, we'll have just as much jack as if we'd stuck up a dozen big banks. On December 4th, 1939, following a term at Minnesota State Reformatory, Charlson drove up to a roadside tavern near Minneapolis. The owner was talking to a customer. You're right with you, mister. Anything else, sir? Oh, that'll be all, Bill. Charge it, will you? <laughs> with a fancy car like that, you want me to charge it? <laughs> no fancy right behind you, pal. Turn around. What? Look out, Bill. He's got a gun. A special kind of gun, mister, with a hair trigger. Come on, both of you. Back up into that hot dog joint before I turn this cannon loose on you. I want your dough. Oh, I got some change. Give it to me. Here you are. Now, you. Open up a cash register. Here. Thirty-five bucks. It's all I got. I know it ain't. Scoop out that change and stick it in my pocket. Nickels and dimes, huh? I'd like to see you for five minutes without that gun. Here's a change. Thanks, white guy. Now, get out of here. Not so fast, you. Empty your pockets. Uh, pretty brave, aren't you, with a gun? Yeah, and it's liable to go off any minute. No sawed-off punk's going to take my dough. I warned you, wise guy. Bill. You're not getting away from me. I'll show you. Give me that gun. You're all through, son. Let go of me. You hurt? Let go of me. Yeah, I guess so. Pretty bad, I... You dropped all three of those bullets, but I got his gun. You're going to need a doctor. What do we do with this guy? Lock him in the washroom. Yeah, you make it all right? Yeah, sure. Now, I got the special gun, you rat. Yeah. Give me back my money. All right. Here you are. Oh, come on, you're into the washroom. You'll never get me to jail. Inside, punk. Okay, white guy. I'll lock it and then phone the police. Better get an ambulance, Bill. You're bleeding bad. Hello. Hello, operator. Get me the police. Sit down, Bill. What's that? The washroom window. There. Up front. There he goes. He's in his car. Stop. Stop or I'll shoot. Oh, it's jammed. That guy's special pistol jammed and saved his own life. It is rare, Judge Miller, for the victim to turn on his assailant at gunpoint and disarm him. It is, Colonel. Fortunately, the wounds of the tavern owner were not serious. Johnson made a dash for Chicago. 
where he went into partnership with another criminal named Joe Rogers. Together, they stole a late model car and started south, blazing a trail of robberies from Illinois to Louisiana. On the night of December 17th in Blytheville, Arkansas, Charlson and Rogers committed an unusual robbery, showing a peculiar obsession. Blytheville, Arkansas, robbery. Two men broke into a house and stole a large collection of pistols, automatics, shotguns, and rifles. Seen escaping in blue or black Dodge sedan. Notify all gun dealers to be on lookout for unusual weapons of foreign make. A few days later, Colonel, Charlson and Rogers were in Minneapolis, waiting in a stolen new Buick sedan across the street from a small apartment house. <laughs> Boy, this is the life of Rogers. You said it, Charlson. Cops and newspapers screaming about us from here to New Orleans. <laughs> Nothing for us to do but sit back and take it easy. <laughs> sure like a drink right now. Yeah, so would I. Wish that baby ears would hurry up. That's uh, only ten past eleven. I told her to sneak out a quarter past. She made up her mind to come with us? Hope so. You know me, Rogers. Wine woman and song. Yeah, I know. But when are we going to quit this small time stuff and go after something big? Like what? Banks. Forget it, Rogers. Knock over a bank and every cop in the States after you. Just think of the dough we could pick up in banks. Oh, we've been getting to places you pick as chicken feed. Nothing but nickels and dimes. There's nothing you can't buy with nickels and dimes, Rogers. If you got enough of them, sure, but we could... There's no but to it. It adds up, see? And the rap for little jobs is nothing like it is for a bank. But in one bank job, we... Listen, stop. Hey, take it easy, will you? Banks have guards and the guards have guns and tear gas. They have balconies to ambush bank bandits. They have burglar alarms to call the cops. Don't you see, we can get as much in a flock of gas stations as we could in a dozen banks. And no risk. Ah, uh, maybe you're right. The way I figure it... Hold it, Charleston. Here comes your girlfriend. Oh. Hello, baby. Hello, Jim. Gee, I'm glad to see you. You and me both. Get in the car. Okay. It's my pal, Joe Rogers. Oh, pleased to meet you. How are you? Oh, what's up? Where are we going? We're going south, kid. How'd you like to go with us? South? Oh, gee, I'd love to, but what about my folks? <laughs> Send them a postcard. Yeah. Just say, having a wonderful time. I wish you were here. <laughs> Hey, what are you guys going to do? We got special ideas. Swell clothes, good liquor, and plenty to keep us busy. What do you say? I say, what are we waiting for? Baby, you're going to be perfect. Let's go, Rogers. Where to? Back to New Orleans, where it's nice and warm. But we're going to make some stops on the way. And where we stop, nobody's ever going to forget it. This will be a joy ride to remember. That was near midnight, Colonel, on December 21st, 1939. Three days later, Chief C.R. Bryan of the Chattanooga, Tennessee Police was sitting in his office when Police Captain Homer Edmondson walked in with a message in his hand. Morning, Captain. Good morning, Chief Bryan. This just came in on the teletype. Thought you'd like to look at it. Um, sweet one, huh? Yes, sir. Arrest two men wanted here for robbery of roadside cafe this morning, 3 a.m. One man about 20, weight 150, blue eyes, light hair. The other one, older, weight about 140, dark hair, slender. Both bandits wearing leather jackets. That's a pretty complete description, Chief. 
He then took $60 in currency, cigarettes, liquor, and a large amount of nickels and dimes. And heavily armed. Large amount of nickels and dimes. That sounds familiar. You're right, Captain. This is the sixth report in the last few days that used those exact words. Yes, and each report was near Chattanooga. Have you broadcast this message to the patrol car? Yes, sir. Right after it came in. Set it out again, Captain. This is the first good description we've had of those men. If they try anything here, I want every man on the force to be waiting for them. Right, Chief. Wait a second. Chief Bryan speaking. System cops over quit, Chief. I've just been robbed. Who's this? Jack Parker. I've got a filling station at Maiden Watkins. I just opened up ten minutes ago and two guys walked in and... Hold on a minute. Captain, there's been a hold up over at Maiden Watkins, the filling station. Send a patrol car over there right away. Right away, Chief. Go ahead, Mr. Parker. What happened? These two guys walked in, Chief. They both wore leather jackets. They had four guns between them and they cleaned out the cash register. How much did they get? Seven bucks. Almost all small change. Nickels and dimes, huh? Well, I know it don't sound like much, Chief, but it's a lot to me. Mr. Parker, I don't care if it was seven cents or seven million dollars. If these bandits are the men I think they are, they're going to try to pull some more jobs like this here in Chattanooga, and we're going to get them. The next afternoon, Colonel, the woman manager of a small dry goods store in Chattanooga saw two men, apparently customers, walking into her store. May I help you, gentlemen? Yeah. Let me see some shirts. The best you got. And I want to see some socks and ties. Certainly. Right over here. What size shirt, sir? 15 color, 34 sleeve. And I want size 11 socks. Here they are. Just take your pick. That's just what we're going to do, sister. Stick them up. <laughs> Hold up. Take it easy, sister. One peep out of you and I'll drill you. Please. Get down on the floor behind our counter. And don't move if you want to live. Yes, pretty, sir. Pretty fancy looking socks, pal. Get some for me. And the shirts you're getting. Silk. The most expensive I can find. Oh, please. Fast. Okay. These here look swell. Green silk. You ready, pal? Yeah, let's go. Hey, sister, where's your cash register? There, in back of the counter. But there's only a... I know, I know. There's only a little change. That's what they all say. How much, pal? Ten bucks and about five and change. Thanks for the service, lady. We'll be sure to tell our friends about you. And remember, sister, if you move off that floor before or out of this store, it'll be the last time you ever move. Exactly 44 minutes later, Colonel, in a Chattanooga liquor store on the other side of town... Uh, will that be all, gentlemen? Just the three bottles of whiskey? No, that ain't all, mister. Reach for the ceiling. Uh, what do you want? Don't shoot him, pal. The cops might hear you get. All right? Keep him covered. Okay? And what are you going to do? I'm going to teach you not to be so nosy. Oh, oh. That'll teach you to ask me what I want. Oh, now, please. Please don't kick me again. Come on, pal. Let's get out of here. Get the dough. Okay. Take everything, even a small change. How much is it? Yeah, it's about 90 bucks here. Hey, here's something else, pal. Nice new gap for your collection. Say, not so bad. Different from any I got. Maybe I ought to try it out on this wise guy. No, no, please. Okay, please. mister, but just so you won't run after us, here's something more to remember us. But... Oh. That brutal holdup was the third. The nickel and dime bandits committed in the heart of Chattanooga within 24 hours, Colonel. It redoubled the efforts of the police to catch Charleston and Rogers and resulted in a gun battle that Chattanooga will long remember. Law enforcement officers within a radius of 50 miles of Chattanooga cooperated. At a special meeting of police representatives at the office of Chief C.R. Bryant, all possible angles were discussed. Unfortunately, men, we have a complete description of these two bandits and definite identification clues. What are they, Chief Bryant? Well, first, Tussman, there's the nickel and dime angle. 
So anyone seen spending an unusual amount of silver is a definite suspect. Then there's the gun angle. The gun angle? It's this, Frazier. These men are crazy about guns. They take pride in them. Not just as weapons, but as items to collect. Ooh, so the bandits might just show off their guns sometime without saging a holdup, huh? Particularly if they'd been drinking. And that's still another clue, Chief Brian. The amount of liquor they consume, judging by the amount they've stolen. And the girl with them, the one that's been seen in their car. Now, we have her description. All right, Captain Edmondson. These are all valuable clues, men. And we have one other advantage. From what these bandits have said to their victims, they don't expect the police to go after them seriously. Just because the thefts have been relatively small, huh? Exactly. Hmm. That gives me an idea, Chief. What is it, Edmondson? Maybe we can get these bandits through a weakness in their own system. How, Captain? Let's give these clues to every reliable citizen in the vicinity of Chattanooga. Every small storekeeper. Then when the bandits do show up again, they'll be spotted immediately. Good yeah, 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 yeah. Well, then it's understood every available man is to stay on duty till these bandits are behind bars. I want them in custody before somebody gets killed. Within one hour after that meeting, Colonel, merchants, filling station employees, liquor store proprietors, business people all over Chattanooga were planning to cooperate with the police. Cooperate with police? Listen, I'm staying right here at the store. If those bandits come back this way, I'm going to be ready for them. If this is those nickel and dime crooks come anywhere near me, I'm going to call the police. I'll know them if I ever see them again. I'll be glad to cooperate. I've got a score to settle with those rats. And I'd like to see them both behind bars. If they ever come into my place, I'll... Nickels and dimes, eh? I get it. If those buzzards stick their noses in my place, I'll be waiting for them. You can count on me. That night, Colonel, December 26, 1939, at the Rock Castle Roadhouse, ten miles west of Chattanooga, the cashier, Bill Rafer, was standing behind his counter. Yes, sir. I want a bottle of whiskey. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We're not allowed to sell liquor in bottles, except the guests of Rock Castle. I'm a guest here. Me and my pal are in one of the cabins right next door. Oh, I'm begging your pardon. Sure. Uh, here you are. That'll be uh, 165, please. You'll have to take it and change. Change? Fiscal, buddy. Here. 25, 50, dollar, 10, 20, 30, 55, 65. Right. Thank you, sir. Your bet is right. Say, what are you staring at? Oh, why, I... See anything wrong with me? No, I... I was just thinking what a good-looking green silk shirt you have on. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, it is good-looking. Everything I got's good-looking. Look at this. Hey, hey, watch... Ah, don't be scared. I ain't gonna use it on you. Boy, that's some pistol. <laughs> Bet your life it is. Special automatic. Only one like it in the country. Yes, sir. Well, is there anything else you want? Yeah, yeah, sure. I almost forgot. Give me, uh, give me uh, some of those box lunches you got, huh? How many? Let's see now. Uh, three, that's please. It. Here they are. Do you want me to carry them for you? Yeah, that's right. I'm getting a little rocky. Hey, Joe, take over, will you? Okay. I'll be right back. Let's go, sir. So which cabin is it? Second one on the left. Is this the cabin? Yeah, yeah, I'll look. Hey, open up. Come on, come on, come on. Open up. It's me. Come on. Pipe down, will you? Come on, let me in. Where's me? Well, I reckon I'll be getting along, mister. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. See you later, mister. Good night. Yeah, I'll see you later. Operator. Operator, get me the police. 
Chief Ryan speaking. Chief, listen, this is Bill Rape out at Rock Castle. Yes, Bill? Those two nickel and dime crooks you're looking for, they're here. How do you know? I'm positive, Chief. Every single clue you give me. The, the nickels and dimes, the, the guns, the liquor, everything checks. Did you notice a car? Yes, sir. It's a big, black, new 1940 Buick. Where are they? In a cabin right next door. How many? Three of them, sir. Two men and a girl. That's what I call fine cooperation, Bill. Sit tight and don't say a word to anyone. Yes, sir. I'll send an emergency squad out there right away. Fifteen minutes later, Colonel, Captain Homer Edmondson, with a group of picked men from the Chattanooga Police Force, including Detective Shipley and Carson, met members of the county uniform police under Captain Dyer outside the Rock Castle Roadhouse. The cashier, Bill Raper, was waiting for them. Which cabin are they in, Mr. Raper? That one with the lights on, Captain Edmondson. All right, men. Sussman and Fraser, you stick with me. All right, Captain. Captain. Now, we'll go to the front of the house. Shipley, you and Carson cover the back with Captain Dyer. You got that? Right, Captain. What's our plan, Captain? Simply to close in and get those bandits. We can't start shooting till we're absolutely sure these are the men we want. But if they show the slightest resistance, open fire with riot guns immediately. Ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. They turned out the lights. Better stand back. I'll knock. Open up. Who is it? Police. Just a minute. Hurry it up. All right, coppers. Come and get it. Get back, friend. Just listen, those bullets bounce. All right, men, open up with your riot guns. Right, Captain. Get down low, babe. Those cops are using riot guns. We'll fix them, Jimmy. I'll load your pistol. Roger. Yeah? Cover the back door. I'll cover the front. Okay, Charleston. Come on, coppers. Try and take it. You'd better give up in there. You're surrounded. We'll give them hot lead. Give me another jet, babe. This one's empty. Hey, I, Jimmy. How are them in the back, Rogers? Can't see them. It's too dark out there. Well, they're all around us, Jimmy. Keep oh. down, babe. Oh. Babe, you hit. Oh, my head. I told you to keep down. <laughs> all right, coppers. You got my gal. I'll show you. Can't get away with that. Charleston. Charleston, there's a copper creeping up in the back. You cover the front, Rogers. I'll get that cop. He's coming right up to the back door. What are you going to do, Jimmy? Shut up, babe. I'm running this show. Open your hands, all three of you. I'm waiting for you, cop. Jimmy, you killed him. I'll say I killed him. I got his gun, too. Jimmy, they got Rogers. Lie down on the floor, babe. I'll get him for that. All right, coppers. I got one of you. Who's next? Yes, Fraser. They killed Shipley. Shipley? How? He broke in the back door. Shot down before he had a chance. Ah, the dirty dogs. Give me a rat gun, Fraser. Yes, my empty. Captain. I'm going after him. Now, wait. Don't go up there. It's probably a trap. 
There goes one of them out the side door. Stop for a fire. He's running for the woods. I can't see him. There, between those big trees. Missed him. It's so dark, I can't see. Oh, we'll never find him in this darkness. What will we do, Captain? He might be hurt. Dyer, you and Carson follow him. I am going to get some bloodhounds. What's the matter with the dogs, Captain? Why are they stopping? Too dark for them? I'm afraid they lost the trail, Fraser. What, after we've followed their banner for almost eight miles? It's all right, Sussman. Those bloodhounds have told me just what I want to know. Uh, that'll get you, Captain. For the last two miles, the bandit's trail has followed right along these railroad tracks. That's right. But now we've lost it. I can't see what that is. We're headed toward Chattanooga, not away from it. Doesn't that mean anything to you men? You mean you thought maybe the bandit would jump afraid away from Chattanooga? No, Sussman. I thought he'd head for Chattanooga, but I'm, I couldn't be sure. Now I know he's gone back to the city, where we can lay our hands on him. With one of the nickel and dime bandits, Joe Rogers' dead, Colonel, and the bandit's girlfriend in a prison hospital, the Chattanooga police combed the city for the remaining bandit, now definitely identified as James Charlson. Later that night, after visiting hundreds of rooming houses, two police officers, Patrolman Fraser and Sussman, climbed the stairs of a cheap rooming house an hour after midnight. What number the landlady say, Fraser? Room six. Yeah. It's room number six, right up there at the head of the stairs. Yeah. Landlady said her new boarder arrived an hour ago. Have your gun ready. But I will, Sussman. Turn on your flashlight. I'll try the door. Right. Door's unlocked. That's lucky. Careful now. Easy, easy. There, he's in bed. Sound asleep. Wonder if he's a golly won't. He's pretty young for a bandit. Let's make sure, Sussman. Pull down the covers. A pistol there in his right hand. And another one next to him. He's starting to wake up. Grab him. I'm with you. Look on him. I didn't do nothing. I got him, Fraser. Put the braces on him. Charlton, you're all through. You come to crazy. I'm not the guy you want. No. General right, Fraser. Let's see those two guns. That don't prove nothing, Cobbler. I didn't kill nobody. I like guns. See, I collect them. Yeah? Well, this is one gun you never should have collected, Charlton. It's the gun you took from Detective Shipley after you killed him. And it's the last gun you're ever going to collect. And so, Colonel Schwarzkopf, through splendid police work and excellent citizen cooperation, the criminal activities of James Charlson came to an abrupt end. Placed on trial in my court for robbery and murder on February 27th, 1940, he was quickly found guilty. I sentenced him to life imprisonment in the Tennessee State Penitentiary. He's there at this very moment. And what happened to the girl who was with Charleston and Rogers, Judge Miller? For months, she hovered between life and death with a bullet touching her brain. The doctor said her mental faculties would be impaired indefinitely, and under the circumstances, she was freed in the custody of her parents. Thank you, Judge Miller, for a fine case. I'm particularly pleased with the way you brought out the great value of public cooperation with the authorities. When the police thus frankly solicit help from our law-abiding citizens... And those citizens promptly and comprehensively cooperate. No criminal can escape. Every time the police and the people work together, the end is inevitable. Crime does not pay. And now, the clues. Special bulletin. 
All citizens, watch for murderer, 24, 5 feet 5 inches, 135 pounds, dark brown hair slicked back, brown eyes. This man with tall, sandy-haired companion, having wrinkled face, wanted for brutal murder several days ago, refrigeration engineer near San Antonio, Texas, may be traveling in black Ford station wagon, and may have in possession of 44 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver with cedar handle. Warning, citizens of Pennsylvania, be on lookout for man 28, 5 feet 8 inches, 160 pounds, brown hair, gray eyes, occupation farmer. This man wanted in connection with feud slaying last week. Indian Head section of Fayette County, Pennsylvania. If you have any information concerning these clues, notify your local police, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or gangbusters at once. For Sloan's Liniment next week, the case of the missing corpse. Here reenacted for the first time, the inside factual account of one of the most fantastic cases in all criminology. Learn how a dead man faced his murderer... Sloan's Liniment brings you one of Philip H. Lord's most astounding dramatizations in America's crusade against crime. Case closed for this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to come back next Wednesday for another hour of crime stories. In between now and then, you can find more old-time radio at relicradio.com. Thousands of shows to listen to. Our shoutcast stream. And don't forget to donate if you're able to help out. And thank you to everyone who has been able to help out. Thanks for joining me today. Talk again next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed. <laughs>